Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to New York City. New York City. New York City in 1960. We are doing, as aforementioned, the apartment. Yes. Let's have the particulars. Oh, usually you just keep going and I have to be like, wait, the particulars. I, I remembered this week. All right. The Apartment, 1960. Directed and produced by one Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder! His previous movie in chronological timeline order of his life is was Some Like It Hot, which we Some had already Some Like It did. Hot. He also did Sabrina... Sunset Boulevard. I mean, Billy Wilder, he's up there on the Rushmore of Gone with the Bushes. So so I'm surprised he, because I do think of Billy Wilder and comedies and Sunset Boulevard ain't oh, a comedy. He had a, he, he, Billy Wilder is Steven Spielberg's favorite director. Okay, so, so he's got diversity. It's diversity. And he even said he makes movies for the public, for the, you know, everyone. That was why he made movies. Um, mm -hmm. So it was also written by Billy Wilder and I.A.L. Diamond. These two got together in 1957 and they wrote 12 movies together. Wow. Some Like It Hot, Irma La, La Duce. And the fortune cookie, to name a few. Oh, I bet the fortune cookie has a lot of moments. What do we call it? Cringeworthy moments. It might be problematic, but I believe it's also a Billy Wilder film. So we might okay. have to. Might we be might have list. to do it. We, I think Billy Wilder might be my favorite director. So Okay, so we have a favorite director and a favorite actor now. Yeah, so we might have to do, upon learning Billy Wilder's death month, a Billy Wilder appreciation. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that later, dear listeners. <laughs> We're celebrating death months, not birth months. <laughs> I'm going with the bushes. It's not about how you come in. It's about how you go out. Leave them laughing. Aha. Go out on a high. So it is starring Jack Lemon. You may know him from Some Like It Hot. Uh, I believe Glen Gary Glenn Ross, The Odd Couple, Grumpy Old Men, Grumpier Old Men, uh, Shirley MacLaine. You may know her. Her first movie was in 1955, Alfred Hitchcock's The Trouble with Harry. She had a, a believe what you could call it, a cameo in Ocean's Eleven. Irma. Irma de la Doce. I think it's La Deuce. La Deuce. <laughs> There's, yeah, they're right. There is no L in this. No, but that's how you've always read. So. Yeah, not my strong suit. <laughs> Being there, Terms of Endearment, Steel Magnolias, Postcards from the Edge. Fred McMurray. He was in Double Indemnity. Yeah. Also the Absent-Minded Professor. And the father in my, my three, three sons. sons. Yes. Um, Jack Krushkin. Krushkin. Mm. Um, he was in Cape Fear and he was Webster's grandfather in Webster. Okay. And he was Uncle Jesse's grandfather in a touching story arc on Full House. Oh, I didn't know there was a touching story arc in Full House. 
Oh, I I think he's the grand. You know, the grandfather comes in. He's there for two episodes. Then he dies in his sleep, and then we all learn about grief. Well, like we didn't learn about grief when the girl's mother died. I mean, she died before the show started. Yeah, so. we they had to go like that. Couldn't be the like very first thing. I don't know. You know what? Full House. I could take or leave. So okay, I'm not gonna get into that. Ray Walston. May know oh, him yes. as the judge from Picket Fences and, and my, my favorite, favorite Martian. Martian. Mm-hmm. So there you, there are the particulars. It is a black and white film. MGM, did you already say that? I did not. It's two hours and four-ish minutes. And as the credits are rolling in black and white, we see uh, an apartment building and the lights are on in one of the apartments. A nice brownstone walk up yes i gotta say so uh there's voiceover after the credits stop and it's jack lemon he works for consolidated life on the 19th floor his name is cc baxter and he makes nine ninety four seventy a week yes his rent is 85 dollars a month so he doesn't have a lot of extra money. Yes, but his rent is a <laughs> quarter of what, like less than a quarter of his pay, right? Because he gets paid every week. Oh, that's right. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. He's doing something that virtually no one in America is able to do right now. So good for him. Put some aside. Okay, so he uh, his office is, is a huge room of just desks and typewriters and telephones yes are you going to tell how that was how they made that look oh like yes it was well, huge? the art director they you used forced perspective so the desk at the front are bigger and as they go down the rows the desk gets smaller and smaller everything gets smaller and smaller to create the effect of these Death, this this room being goes on forever. going on forever. Honestly, I I picture that is what hell looks like. Yeah, although there are a lot of people that, I mean, if you see, um, so if you see, uh, what movie do we see? Bell sorry Park to bother Lane? you. Oh, sorry to bother. I you. mean, tele telemarketers like that too. Okay, so. He says his hours of work are 8.50 to 5.20, but he always stays an extra hour uh, to kill time. Yeah, but he's um, working. He works an extra hour of overtime for free. Without getting paid. Without getting paid. Because? Because he's a schnook. <laughs> And there are others in the corporation who are using his apartment for non-marital trysts. Yeah, basically management has found out that Baxter, who everybody calls Bud, has this place. And I don't, do they even explain how the whole thing got started? Because we we just jump into it and this guy, he's there and he can't, Baxter has to stay. Yeah. Baxter, because it's told over a voiceover, Baxter has to stay, and he goes home, he looks up, there's a light still on, so he knows that somebody's still in his apartment, go into the apartment, it's this older guy, and this 
younger woman. I mean, floozy popped into my head, but I don't know if that's acceptable anymore. Well, because her voice is so over the top with the. Yes, I wasn't passing any judgments on her having shacking up with a married man. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with her presentation. Yes. Overly, overly fried blonde hair. Very, um, very dime store trying to be Marilyn Monroe. A floozy. The, the classic definition of a floozy. Therefore, we're allowed to use the word floozy. You know what? I think that we have done a good enough job explaining that she is a floozy. Based by her on own her, choice. By her own choice. She, there we go. Yes. She is, she's, yeah, she made a choice and she's happy. And she is a dignified floozy. She would refer to herself as a floozy. Yeah, and happily. And happily. Yes, so she is with this much older man. And Jack Lemmon is saying the problem with his apartment is he can't always get in it. Yeah, but it's his apartment. um, So, yeah, later we'll get into how it started. Ah, okay. It started very... Um, well, not very innocently, but innocently on his part. And then other people found out about it. So there were four men who were using his apartment. And he at work, he was more of a manager of who's in his apartment than he could be of any insurance policies. Yeah, but he, does, he doesn't really need to. Like the, I don't know what any of those people are doing in the insurance policy office. Well, they aren't doing insurance. So um, they're coming out, and she's she says in this real um, floozy voice. Floozy voice. Uh, he goes, "I'll walk you to the subway," and she goes, "Oh no, you won't! You're gonna pay for me to get in the cab." Uh, and, and the old man goes, "Why do all the dames live in the Bronx?" <laughs> So finally, Jack Lemon Bud can get in his apartment. He goes in, he gets the mail, he goes upstairs, and his neighbor is saying, "My God, there was such a racket!" Oi, they! Their neighbors are very Jewish. They're very Jewish and happily um, putting on the mantle of the quintessential Jewish person. Yes, meaning there uh, they got great comedic timing. <laughs> and so the wife goes, I heard maybe burglars in there. Uh, <laughs> okay. So he goes in and he has to clean up their mess. Of course, he has a, a very small efficiency apartment. Well, it's got a bedroom. I Look, for New York, I thought that that well, was a very true. nice apartment. Probably true. I, I mean, I do you know what that? I can't even imagine what that's going. Oi, Vey, I can't imagine what that's going for on today's Oy, unless it was uh, rent, rent. Ah, rent know. controlled. Rent controlled. Yeah. Thank you for picking it up. But in his apartment where there are not a lot of extras, he does have a martini pitcher. Well, he and is a white man of, of a certain age and status. This in is 1960. 1960, yes. So he has to clean up their martini glasses, the martini pitcher. And uh, it was Mr. Kirkaby who had been in there. And he comes back because the lady forgot her galoshes. Okay. And Kirkaby's saying to Jack Lemon, hey, you know, I'm putting in a good word for you. There are going to be some promotions. So I'm putting in a good word for you. And by the way, you need more liquor. Yeah. Oh, oh, and those uh, those little cheese crackers that you had before. 
I don't think the Paradox Crackers. But anyway. Man. And Jack Lemon goes, you still owe me for the last two bottles I bought. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get another one and, you know, I'll pay you. So he's a schmuck. He's basically running a La Quinta. <laughs> or as we say, La Quinta. Or a La Quinta. <laughs> he puts in a TV dinner, the old timey TV dinners in his little oven. The kind with the three separation, not even the kind that had the little brownie for dessert. I know. That was the 70s. You had to wait for the 70s wow. to get the brownie. So he had his fried chicken dinner, and all, all that was was breading on, uh, anyway. It looked more like a rotisserie chicken when he was eating it. Yeah, but trust me, that's not how it looked. Yeah. I, I was like, I think this, the art department took a little little, little bit of liberties because that looks decent. And then, um, oh, he's putting his trash outside his door and it's all bottles. And so the male neighbor says, what I hear through the walls, you must be a real, um, I'm going to go with Casanova or something. I didn't get that written. Um but but the the guy is a doctor and he says really you know we, you need to leave your body to science when you die because you got something going on there to be able to keep all this up yeah and he was he, he just says your body you're a modern miracle but uh and because he goes have you made your your final arrangements and stuff and Jack Lemmon's like no no he's like well the way you're going you might wanna. <laughs> This Nobody is, can keep that out. Yeah, Dr. Dreyfus. I liked every time Dr. Dreyfus showed up. Dr. Dreyfus was great. So he's turning on the TV to watch TV while he eats his TV dinner. And the first thing that comes on is Grand Hotel. Well, it doesn't. It just says Grand Hotel. And I'm like, that's right, Grand Hotel. I That's on my list. And then he, and then it go, it, it lanes everyone who's in it. Greta Garbo, whole bunch of John Barrymore, Barrymore, Joan Crawford, yeah, Lionel Barrymore. I mean, okay, but then it goes studded. to a, goes to a commercial. Mm-hmm. Well, but it'll be brought to you one second after a word from our sponsor. Uh, so then it's a western, and he changes to a bar fight, and he changes to the Cavalry, and he goes back to Grand Hotel, but it's back to commercials. They go back so to you tr- by our alternate, uh, what is it, commercial sponsor. Yeah. When you start having trouble with word retrieval, we're in real trouble. Oh, it's the wine. Okay. So he turns off the TV, and he goes to bed, and as soon as he's in bed, the telephone rings. And it's Joe Dobush, <laughs> I think. That's what I wrote down. And he wants the apartment right now because he is in a bar. And this woman is toasted. She looks like Marilyn Monroe. Now. And it, so it's now or never. And he's going, I'm already in bed and I took a sleeping pill. And I don't have any liquor. And the guy's going, I don't care. Leave the key under the mat. It'll just be for 30 minutes. It'll just be for 30 minutes. So he puts on his clothes over his PJs because he's a schmuck. He can't say no. A schnook. And on the record player, he puts a note not too loud. The neighbors have been complaining. At this point, a taxi pulls up. And wait, wait, the wait, guy wait, wait. Who- time out, time out, Ma, time out. 
So the woman, because he he the guy makes a big deal of saying that he looks just like Marilyn Monroe. And remember the movie before this mm-hmm. was Some Like It Hot. Mm-hmm. And remember all of the trouble that they mm-hmm. had with Marilyn Monroe. So when the mm-hmm. woman turns around, she's blonde and she is completely hammered mm-hmm. and talking just like Marilyn Monroe. And mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, that's that's on purpose. It, he did it on purpose. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's a dig. You know yeah. what? I like you, Billy Wilder. <laughs> Yeah, I like the way you you roll. Yeah, he did that on purpose as a dig toward her because he said he'd never work with her again. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh, and you know what? He could have he could have really like lit her on fire. Oh yeah, but he didn't. Like when you watch the movie and you see it, it's actually it, it actually pretty. I'm not going to say that it sums up Billy Wilder, but it's one of the reasons why he's a fantastic director because it's still funny. Even if you, because the audience going to see this, they know this is a Billy Wilder film. They know the last movie he did was Some Like It Hot. Jack Lemmon was also in it. Marilyn Monroe. It works. On, even if you have, even if you don't know anything about Some Like It Hot, you still know who Marilyn Monroe is. Right. And when she turns around and does the whole voice, the scene still works. And it's not like the shot that he was taking. It's not a like a dirty shot. Right. It's like uh, it, like poking fun of, of like a wink, wink. But you know that he's like, eh. you know, there's layers to it. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Because I I watched it and I just went, yeah. I mean, everybody was trying to look like Marilyn Monroe mm-hmm. back then and sound like her. And so this is the um, third time I've seen this movie, and it was. It wasn't until this time that I realized, oh, there's some history to this, but well played because there was restraint. And I didn't know it till I read the trivia. So, ah. and so um, the taxi pulls up. The taxi ride was a whole seventy cents. Yeah. And the guy who played Ray Walston, yes, he has four drinks in his hand. <laughs> but this guy is a professional. He, this guy. This is this is when they say don't hate the player, hate the game. You forget about this guy. Don't sleep on this guy. Four drinks in two hands. Gets out of the cab. Drinks still going. That's right. He can still pay the 70 cents. And I think he gives him a whole dollar and lets him. Keep yeah. Cuz look, this guy got four drinks in his hand and a woman that at this point he thinks is Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> and she does too yeah so he goes upstairs he goes get the key under the mat and she goes i thought you said this was your mother's apartment and he goes just get the key well and actually the- when they go up they're in the he they're out on the outside and uh bud is you know being all sad sack and they shot this film with one of the new panavision cameras and so you were able to have uh I forget, but you were able to be able to see a lot of the background, like the focus. It's something like a dual something, but I don't know. I didn't get all into the specifics. I just knew that the camera was new because you could see Bud in the background. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was very clear and stuff. And so when the guy comes up, the guy she says, "I thought this was your mom's place," and he says, "Uh, "Yeah, but something to the effect of like, well, yeah, if she has a problem with it, then she can uh, get another job." 
So it's really meant it works to his mom because you're like, oh, I, I guess he's paying for his mom. And that's why she if she didn't like it, then she would have to go find a job. And also Bud, because it's like if he doesn't like it, he can go find another job. Yeah, exactly. Because Bud's listening to it. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Dreyfus hears giggling from the apartment. He's like, oh, my God. So Jack Lemon is walking Central Park. Wait, wait. And doesn't he look like he has on spats? Because Because it's his pajamas over his pajamas. Yeah. (laughs) He looks like he has on spats. And it's raining. And um, I just kept thinking those pajamas are going to be ruined because they were dragging (laughs) on the ground. I kept thinking, why did he put on his pajamas? pants over his pajamas he had taken a sleeping pill he wasn't thinking ah. so finally he sits down on a bench and he falls asleep a beautifully lit bench Eight forty-five the next day he has a head cold yeah and shirley mclean it's the first time we see her she is the elevator operator miss cooper lick so cooper. ma in the early the late 50s, early 60s, people couldn't operate an elevator by themselves? They didn't. In in the, the nice places, in uh, department stores and, and office buildings, there were people, yeah, there were elevator operators. Oh, yeah. Wait a second. So this place, though, because weren't the elevator operators usually, like, black people? They could have been. Mm-hmm. Oh. This Shirley McLean, this place is just taking black people's jobs, huh? Well, she was a woman, so, yeah. They were like elevator girls. And it explains why she's not a secretary later, too. Oh, all right. I the We can just jump in here for the people of color. There was like two, three, four, five, and just like in the background that you would see. no Nothing prominent. You had to squint to really see them. So Jack and Shirley have a nice little banter going on as he goes up to the 19th floor. Um, Watch your hands. Oh, and so somebody gets off the elevator and, of course, smacks her bottom. And she goes, watch your hands, Mr. Kirby. Yeah. Um, I cracked up at the coat closet. Well, it wasn't really a closet. It was more like just a coat, like hanger on the wall. Of their large but room. It had like two racks above it for, so everyone could put their their hats. What were those hats called? Like their fedora ye like Their hats. fedora hats. They're like yeah. old timey hats. Because everybody wore an overcoat or a raincoat and a fedora. Yeah. Hats were big. Yeah. <clears throat> so then there are men, of course, talking about Shirley, Mrs. Kuberlick, Miss Kuberlick, and how many people had tried, but it seemed that nobody was getting anywhere with with her. Oh, and she had because she has really short hair. Isn't this really short hair for the sixties? Mm-hmm. She has really short hair in it, and they they mentioned that she's just chopped it off. She just said that she just wanted a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she says to Jack Levin something. Oh, he says something about her short hair, and she said. Yeah, it was a mistake, wasn't it? He goes, no, I think it looks adorable. It does look adorable on her. She and we'll find out why she chopped it off soon. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but Jack is saying, well, maybe she's just a good girl. 
Maybe she doesn't want to be a part of your little club. Um, okay, so, and then, and then Jack Lemon gets to his, his desk and he calls up Ray Ah, uh, yes, because he's sick. So he looks to see who has the apartment. No, he, he, you're right. He calls up Ray Walston. He's sick and he calls him up because take it away. He left the wrong key under the mat. He left the key to the men's restroom under the mat instead of his own apartment key under the mat. And he couldn't get in until four in the morning and he had to get his landlady up to get in his own apartment. Man, do you know how mad I would be? I was and, unbelievable. <laughs> you would not be. I would not, not be, be in this situation. No, no, you wouldn't. No. So Ray, Ray is saying to him, uh, yeah, um, don't worry about it. I'm sending your promotion ahead as we speak. So he's like, oh, okay, okay. But he's got his head cold. He's taking his temperature because he actually carries a thermometer in his pocket. That was hilarious to me. I'm like, <laughs> this guy is fastidious. And literally the word fastidious popped into my head. And I'm like, I don't even know if that's what it fastidious means but i think it sounds right <laughs> it's it's something you never thought of which amazes me to carry your own thermometer around with you it's not that i didn't think of it i just put it in context of what it will look like to the regular world i put it through my air and filter <laughs> because you did carry an ace bandage with you wherever you went well that's practical so he's calling Mr. Vanderhoff because Mr. Vanderhoff has his apartment that night and all he wants to do is go home from work and go to bed. Yeah, because he's sick. Who among us hasn't ever felt that? So he's going to need his own apartment. So he's looking at his calendar and he says to Mr. Vanderhoff, well, somebody's already penciled in for that. Let me try and make the arrangements. So he has to work between these four men who are using his apartment to figure out how... He can get his own apartment that night and still keep all of the four men happy and, and enjoying their trysts. Yes. Okay, so um, then he gets a message that they want him upstairs. Yes. So he knows this is his promotion. Mr. Sheldrake. Mr. Sheldrake. And he ha he's like me with the tissues in his pocket. He's got yes. a gazillion tissues in his pocket. Me too. He gets on the elevator, Shirley's elevator, and he says, guess what? This is going to be it. I'm getting a promotion. My ship has finally come in. And she's saying, that's so good because you know what? You're the only man who rides this elevator and takes his hat off. Mm. And um, so she likes him and she appreciates his kindness. And she always has a flower in her lapel. She takes it off and puts it in Jack's lapel. And he asks her to lunch. And she does a really good job of just deflecting that without saying no to it. Oh, yeah. She's really good. She's like ninja, like pia, pia. So he walks in and Mr. Sheldrake is Fred McMurray. Yes. Fred McMurray says, I've been hearing nice things about you. You work late and, without even getting paid for overtime. Not what is it that makes you so popular? Well, and, you know, Jack Lemon in full Jack Lemon mode. Well, well, well uh, Mr. Shy, I, I'm a company man. 
Yeah, no, I think there's something. There must be something else. He's like, no, I think there's a, I think there's more to it than that. And then he tells a story about how somebody was, um, and the company was like taking money or something. I didn't write the story down, but oh. the, but the point was he knows everything, and that guy was fired. So don't try to pull anything over on him. Yeah, he's he's rattling. You know, I'll get all. Sheldrake is a slippery eel. Yes. Uh, and then he Sheldrake goes, okay. So uh, I hear there's a key to a certain apartment. Don't deny it. Um. And so this is where we find out the story of the apartment. Mm. So Jack says, well, a long time ago, one of my co-workers um, needed a place to change into a tuxedo. He had a, a short period of time between when work was over and when he needed to be someplace. So he came to my apartment to change into his tuxedo. Because his apartment is really well situated on West 67th Street. And... Um, that guy let other people know this apartment was available. And so the four men had been holding his apartment hostage ever since. See, it started out as just a nice gesture. Oh, and so the apartment, I guess, is in good proximity to the office. Yeah. And so then they, then he was, the guy was like, oh, we could like use this apartment. And then exactly. they were. They didn't say they were going to fire him, but I think they kept always offering, like, saying, like, oh, you're going to get a promotion. I'm going to put in a good word for you. And it was just that, like, because that's what this movie is satiring a lot of. Also, that big corporate, faceless corporation thing. So this, they just give him just enough hope where he could get something out of it. But then also he knows that if he doesn't go with it, that they could also just fire him. Exactly. But he's saying, hey, hey, boss, nobody will ever use my apartment again. So, that, you know, it's over. It's over. And so um, Fred McMurray goes, well, well, just how does that work with the key? So, you know, what's going mm -hmm. on. He just wants in. Well, actually, McMurray, I believe he massages his way into the whole thing by asking him at one point before he gets into the particulars about how the key works. He says, have you ever seen the music man? <laughs> and then they're like, oh, Broadway show. And you got it. He was like, no, I haven't. But I hear it's fantastic. I think it was like the Hamilton of the time. I think the Music Man. I mean, I I think I think it was the Hamilton of of 1960. People talk about it. I yeah. I know of it. I've never yeah. seen it. I know there's like was 99 trombones or something as a song. Yeah, I was a pickle little lady. I don't I don't know what that means. Pick a little duck, little pick a little duck, little uh -oh. pick 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 duck luck. Pick a little more pick a little duck. Okay. Anyway. I just know it's about a man and his music. So um, at this point, uh, the secretary calls in and says, you, your wife is on the phone. So um, Jack Lemon is trying to slip out because he kind of sees the handwriting on the wall. But um, Jack. Where is that? Hold on a second, buddy. Yeah. Um, and so. 
McMurray saying, yeah, I won't be home for dinner tonight. Um, I have somebody I have to take to dinner. Yeah, he's got a, um, uh, yeah, I forget what they say, but somebody's coming in to take him out to dinner. And yeah. as somebody who goes and travels, I called bullshit on that. Right, right. <laughs> I'm like, they, they don't take you out to dinner. They they leave you. Nobody. <laughs> You, you, so you hang he, out with the people ha- that you traveled with. Nobody's like, oh, we're good. 1960. Somebody who leaves for Dallas tomorrow. So um, he hangs up the phone and he says, hey, Jack, do you want to go see the music man tonight? I've got two tickets. And Jack's going, oh, I'm just planning on going home and going to bed. I'm so sick. And he says, uh, well, uh, what if we swap the tickets? He goes, what are we swapping for? And then he realizes, oh. Yeah. And, and this, he takes the key out of his pocket. And this is the bit. Well, and that's funny, too, because like you say, he takes a tissue out, tissue out, tissue <laughs> out to get to the key. And people nowadays wouldn't want the key that had been in that pocket I with all those dirty I instantly thought that. I, I, I know was, you did. Ooh, you're handing over a hot key, buddy. Just put it on the desk. <laughs> let me get my let me get my hand sanitizer. Okay, so uh, then Fred McMurray goes, "Your executive material, and next month we're going to be promoting people. So let's just keep this our little secret." Oh man, I, I get. I guess they don't have a check line. <laughs> I guess. There's no. This is before the check line. The company check line. So it's the end of the day. Jack is waiting down in the lobby for Shirley. And so she she walks by and, and says goodnight to him. And he goes, oh, good night. And then he realizes, oh, yeah, I was waiting for you. Uh, hey, hey, you want to go to see the music man tonight? She goes, oh, I'm meeting someone tonight. And he goes, oh, is it serious? And she said, it used to be serious for me anyway, but now it's kaput. And so he's like, oh, okay. She says, but wait, I could meet you at the theater. I could, you know, have a drink with this guy and then meet you at the theater. Oh, so he is so excited. Oh. Mm -hmm. Wait, has he also explained how kind of creepy he's been towards her? Is this when they're walking? I think this might be where he does that. Yeah, I mean, he's and true he stalkerish. He's like, oh, I know everything about. Oh, it is, but it's it's that weird. Like it is stalkerish, but the way that Jack Lemon does it is that I don't. It's like the words coming out of his mouth are a red flag, but how they sound, I'm like, man, it's kind of it's kind of adorable. He yeah. says. Oh, I know everything about you. I know you live with your brother-in-law and sister. I know that uh, I. He's like, I know your birth date. I know your social security number. I know you have a. You got an appendix out. And she's like, How do you know all this? And he said, Oh, I took a peek at your file, which you're not supposed to do, but he Mm-mm. did her like insurance file, I think, and. So then she says, um, do me a favor and don't tell anybody about my appendix. I don't want because because if if he tells anybody about the appendix, they'll be like, how'd you find out about your appendix scar? And then, you know, rumors and innuendo. Oh, so she says, okay. don't tell 
can you know do me a favor and don't tell any of the other guys that you know that oh i i didn't put that together hmm. yeah because then because we'll get to when it when it uh happens again okay well at this point she goes off i did see him using nose spray which i'm gonna tell you people don't use that don't not not unless it's under a doctor's care you can get addicted to it did very you, bad did you very get addicted bad. to nose spray yes <laughs> How did how, did you go to a clinic to to get out of it? Did you go cold turkey? No, I, I I had to go to my doctor because I was using it like every time my nose reclosed, which was be like every ten minutes. What was no, in it? That was like in the seventies. It could you could have had like fentanyl in it, and not even know. Oh, it had something horrible in it because it opened up my my nasal cavities for just like eight minutes. And then I used instead of paying attention to the directions, which said, do not use more than a spray for every six hours or something. um, Well, you were like, that's a normal nose. Yeah, (laughs) I can double this. I ain't got no normal (laughs) nose. I had to go to my doctor and that's when I got prescribed. Drixoral. Oh, rest in peace, Drixoral. Rest in rest peace. Rest in peace. Oh, the best antihistamine ever. Nasal decongestant of all ever. time. And that was what I mean. I, yeah, I was cold turkey for a while, but um, that helped. Man, that's what I used until they went out of business. Probably because they had really bad stuff in them, but I didn't care. It worked. Okay, I digress. It was like the main ingredient in the best meth cook. The best meth cooks chose Drixoral. I'll bet it was blue. Probably. Because you didn't get drowsy on it. No, you didn't. It was an antihistamine that you did not get drowsy on. Yeah. So, man, that was great stuff. It was good stuff. It was rest in peace. Okay, so Fred McMurray and Shirley McLean. Okay, I'm not calling them their real names in the movie. Walk into a piano bar. Uh, uh, may I say Asian? I'm going to go with Chinese. See, piano bar. people said that it was Chinese, but I instantly thought when I saw it, Polynesian. That okay. it looked it looked South Pacific. Because it, okay. it was a, a lot of bamboo and stuff. But then when I was thinking about it, I get, like Chinese restaurants at the time, they really leaned into that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it could have just been a like Chinese restaurant really leaning into. Yeah. Re, just really leaning into just Americans and specifically white people not knowing the difference. Yeah. But I was surprised there was a piano bar. Yes. And did you know, because there's a piano guy that he, when Shirley MacLaine starts walking in, the piano guy starts playing. Yeah. We'll get to what, we'll get to the name. Did you notice the name of his album? Yes. I laughed so hard at it. Even that he had an album. That he had an album, but that the name of his album, I was just like, I love this, but at the same time, whoa. (laughs) Okay, there was a person of color there, and then there were two more because of of obviously the people who were serving were um, of 
or Asian, like the owners. Asian yeah. persuasion. Okay, so uh, she sits down. She says, I can't stay long, uh, but I do want my daiquiri. And he said, it's already been ordered for you. And he goes, you cut your hair. I liked it better long. And she said, it's, it's been six weeks. I've missed you. Oh, I'm so crazy for you. That's him. He's saying, mm -hmm. I'm crazy for you. Um, we had two wonderful months. So she still loves him. And she's looking at him with puppy dog eyes. And the reason she cut off her hair was because he liked it long and he broke up with her. So she chopped it off. Mm -hmm. And... She says, yeah, well, you know, when you're dating a married man, you kid yourself that he's unmarried. But as soon as he starts looking at his watch and asking if there's lipstick and then getting up to leave, you know that you're dating a married man. And she goes, a girl sh who's dating a married man shouldn't wear mascara. And uh, she goes, why do you keep calling me? And because uh, I have a date at 830. So then we switch to Jack in front of the theater. It's raining again. He's coughing because he still has this cold, but it's okay because she's going to come see the play with him, and then they're going to go out on the town. Um, and I wrote that it's music to string her along by. The, um, the piano player is playing music to string her along by. Oh, yeah, because he, he knowingly, when she comes in, segues into Jealous Lover jealous lover but fred mcmurray says i saw a lawyer this morning she said i never ask you to leave your wife just tell me you still love me it's getting really crowded in this little restaurant mm -hmm. and he, and he goes oh we better get out of here well they walk by miss olson and who miss is fred's secretary mm -hmm. And she, I didn't remember, I didn't know who she was, but I knew I didn't either that at first. blonde blue bouffant wig and the way, and when, when she came in, she didn't see them, but they saw her and they're like, oh, it's getting crowded. We got to get out of here. So they tried to do the walk by and when Miss Olsen whipped her head around and then she went into her purse or whatever and pulled out those like high cat eye glasses, cat eye glasses. Look, i was like oh she is just the woman who's in everybody's business she didn't have on peep toe pumps but she, she had, had on, on the cat, cat, eye, the glasses. cat eye glasses she puts them on and just how they go up is and she turns her head it just is like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we'll find out more about that later too so uh the taxi takes them back to jack's apartment yes jack's alone on the sidewalk so scene next morning jack is packing up his desk mm -hmm. this and he's moving is... up to the 20 he's moving on up something floor yeah and his name is being painted on the door second administrative assistant he has his own office overlooking the working stiffs yeah look at that and the four men come into his office and they are unhappy at not being able to use his apartment. 
because mm-hmm. he was going to go. Remember, they had to have all their their schedules shifted. Yeah, so they come in and they're like, "Oh, look at you! You like you like these new digs, don't you?" And then they start doing their veiled threats. Yep. Um. Oh, oh, and then Fred McMurray comes in and he goes, "You know, you know, Bud, you need to get a second key because." This key under the map thing isn't working. So you need to get a second key. And by the way, oh, well, and then Jack says, pulls out this he contact he a... found in his couch that had been left. Well, yeah, he says that he needs to get a second key because his secretary is very nosy. His secretary, Miss Olsen, is very nosy. And then Miss Jack Olsen is his secretary. Yeah. So then Jack's like, oh, OK, yes. Like, I'll I'll get on it, sir. Yes, sir. Mr. Sheldrake. And he goes, oh, I um, I your friend left this and it was the compact. And when you open the compact, the mirror is cracked. So it's 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 quite distinguished. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, it's not just any old compact. OK, so. Um, Fred McMurray saying, yeah, I want to see a girl a couple times a week. And, and so Jack says, well, you think you're going to divorce your wife? And he goes, uh, something about what's fair. And Jack goes, well, especially not for your wife. So now they show the switchboard and there are all these dames that work on the switchboard. And so they get to hear everybody else's conversation. So they hear there's a swinging party on the 19th floor. Mm-hmm. And it is a true office Christmas party. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, our office Christmas lunch is just like tables and, you know, with chicken and stuff. Like these people are literally dancing on their desk. They had champagne towers flowing. There's booze in the office. Is this how yeah, Christmas parties are, used to be? Uh, business Christmas parties. People are hooking up. Man, no mm-hmm. way. There is no touching. It was before the copier, so nobody's doing butt and boob copies on the copier. Yes, I can't. That was a know. thing. I can't even imagine. So, um. Oh, so Jack takes a cup of punch to Shirley because she's still working the elevator. And he goes, uh, she goes, you've been avoiding me for six weeks. And well, I don't think it's said, been, has it been six weeks? That's what it said. Oh, all right. Um, and he says, well, you know, you stood me up. And come on, come and join the party. And she says, she's like, yeah, you're right. Uh, that was an awful thing to do. She isn't. She owns it. Yeah. She knows. She doesn't that say, oh, it, I forgot or, or, oh, my gosh, I didn't think you were serious. No, she says, yeah, that was mm-hmm. that was wrong of me. And I'm sorry. Because she's adorable. Yes. Okay, now I have Miss Olsen. Um, well, Miss Olsen, Olsen has had a few. And it, who is she talking to? She talks to... Um, Shirley McLean. Oh, so she was telling Shirley I was the branch manager. And then she starts listing. uh, And so she had been Fred McMurray's tryst 
partner. And then she starts listing all of the others who came mm-hmm. before her. Because then he broke it off. And then after after he broke up with her, then she just starts listing all of the other women, women that he's been with. And he's she's basically says, yeah. And when he breaks it off with you, because he's not he's going to tell you that he's going to leave his wife, but he's not going to leave his wife and you'll finally get tired of him. And so it'll he'll either he'll either get tired of you or you'll get tired of him. And then he'll just move on to the next young thing. There's going to be someone after you and someone after that and that and so on and so forth. So she could have just been somebody, you know, with bad blood. But then she goes, uh, yeah, I know, because he always takes you to that same booth in that same restaurant. And he gives you the same pitch about divorcing his wife. <clears throat> so all this time, Shirley is blinking back tears. Mm-hmm. So Jack comes up and sees her and he says, step into my office. At this point, he does a whole bit with a bowler hat. Yeah, so he went, he's he's so excited. He went, he got this hat and he, he's been too nervous because he doesn't know how it looks on him and he wants somebody's opinion. And so he takes out the hat, he puts it on and it's it's a straight up bowler hat and he looks like a dork. A total A total dork. dork. And McLean is shook. She's just yeah. like, oh, my gosh, this guy, he's such a scoundrel. He's not going to leave his wife. I'm not special. What am I doing with my life? And this dork is in front of me in this bowler hat. And so he can't read the room. So she just says, yeah, it looks nice on you. And he's like, oh, are you sure? What if I what if I uh, put it to the side like that? <laughs> And so he cocks it to the side and looks even more like a dork. He just looks like somebody you want to just run up and punch in the face. Well, not really, because he's got such a cute face. But yeah, it's it. But yeah. I mean, uh, his face is, will take he's a talking punch. And, and talking and she's not hearing a word. Yeah. All she's thinking is, oh, my gosh, I've been so stupid. So she says to him, this has been a really bad day for me. And um she and um mr cedric sent him a christmas card he shows it to her and it's him with all his family yeah so she's like oh look at that great look at this beautiful family so so she opens her compact so he can see how the hat looks on him and the compact is the one from his apartment so when he looks yeah when he looks to see his reflection he sees that it's the same cracked compact and then instantly he knows that Sheldrake that she is the woman that Sheldrake took to his apartment yeah and so he the look on his face is just heartbroken and he gets heartbroken and disheartened he thought she was the good girl he was in love with her as love as you can be when you stalk someone and don't even know them. Mm-hmm. And he goes, your mirror's cracked. And she says, yeah, she likes it. She likes it that way because it makes her look the way she feels. Ew. Broken. Ew. So the phone rings, he leaves. It's Mr. Sheldrake on the phone saying, uh, Hey, is your apartment ready? Is the tree up? It, are the drinks mixed and in the refrigerator? 
he's heartbroken. He just leaves the party. Yeah. He's so like, he's, yeah. He goes to a bar, of course. Mm-hmm. He's just going to drown his sorrows. Well, there's a girl at the bar who's watching him. And she, she's she blow- drunk. She's, she's had a few. And she starts blowing straw wrappers at him. She blows three at him, and he doesn't pay any attention to any of them. He's that sad and drunk. So she goes up to him and says, buy me a drink. If you buy me a drink, I'll buy you some music. Oh, they're drinking rum Collins. Oh, by the way, I know. I was like, ew. By the way, it's Christmas Eve. It is Christmas Eve. Yes. You know, because we're allowed to say Christmas again. When could we not say Christmas? Oh, somebody insignificant says it's because of him. Um, so she's talking about her husband and how her husband is in jail in Havana. Yeah, he's a jockey. Her husband <laughs> so he's a little is tiny a, guy. Is a jockey in Havana and he got caught doping horses. And so Castro threw him in jail. Yeah. So, yeah, that was odd. And so back at the apartment, Shirley is crying and Fred is saying, what's wrong? And he's he lies to her some more. And she's he says, you've always been such a good sport. She said, well, I ran into Mrs. Olson. And yeah, but I ran into Mrs. Olson. She told me, like, I'm just you know, I'm just, you just, I'm just a substitute. There's nothing. This doesn't mean anything. You run this. You have this whole game that you run with all these women, and you go to the same place, do the same things, tell them all the same lies. It's nothing. It means nothing. There's gonna be a girl come after me. Yep. And she says I've stopped running. So she gives him his Christmas present, which is Aaron. She gives him a, a record, and it's from it's from the gentleman who plays in the <laughs> Chinese restaurant. His, his record and the name and the name that he goes by is Rickshaw Boy. <coughs> and Rickshaw Boy. Yeah, and when I saw it, I was That'd like, "Be a good oh, rapper name, Rickshaw Boy." <laughs> I was like, that's hilarious. Hilariously inappropriate. But he said it about himself. True. And I believe that the restaurant is called In the Rickshaw. Like, they leaned really hard. They said, look, we're not even Chinese. We're a Vietnamese family. But these dumb white Americans, (laughs) we're going to open up a Chinese restaurant. We don't know how to cook Chinese. They don't know the difference. We're going to put South, like, Island Tiki themed. (laughs) They're like, but that Tiki theme is not Chinese. They don't know the difference. They don't know. We're going to give them daiquiris. They're going to, like, order daiquiris from us thinking that's authentic Chinese. And like, that is not authentic. They're like, they don't know. (laughs) We're going to call it in the rickshaw. And we're going to get a guy and he's going to play the piano. And he's going to release an album called Rickshaw Boy. (laughs) We're, We're leaning into this, people. And guess what? Our kids, kids are going to be 
doctors. This is how we make it. This is how we make it in America. That's a true American story right there. That's when America was great. And he goes, oh, this is great. See, that was a heartfelt gift. That's where they go all the time. Uh-huh. He put it and on. He, Rickshaw and he goes, we'll boys have to keep tickling it here. the ivories. And um, so he goes, oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, about your gift. Yeah, well, um, okay, here's $100. Go buy yourself something nice. Uh-oh. And she's taking off her gloves and taking off her coat. And he goes, oh, oh wow, I didn't realize it was so late. I got to go. And she said, well, you know, I just thought since it was already paid for. <gasps> oh, <gasps> snap. And he goes, he gets mad. Don't make yeah. yourself look cheap. She and goes, run, run along now. Well, no, she, she says, I didn't look at myself as cheap. You gave me $100. That's not cheap. Because, I mean, $100 isn't cheap. That's more than what's his face's salary. That's more than the apartment for the month. $100. Yeah. So she's well, not he cheap. bends down to kiss her and she goes, oh, careful of the lipstick. Oh, yeah, because she had mentioned the whole thing about the lipstick on the collar. And mm-hmm. Like when she's because she was trying to be delusional that the her boyfriend wasn't married. Mm-hmm. So he says Merry Christmas and he leaves and she stays and she keeps the album going and she's crying and she goes in the bathroom and she sees sleeping pills and she puts them back and. And she then she gets the hundred dollars out of her purse and she fills a glass because he put the hundred dollars in her purse. She fills a glass of water and you know what's going to come next. Now, here's my question. Were those sleeping pills prescribed to Baxter? Yeah, because remember when he said when the guy called and he'd already gone to bed he said, I've already taken a sleeping pill. Yeah, but I didn't know if that, because if it was prescribed, wouldn't it have his name on it? But I guess she's so distraught at that point that she doesn't notice the name. I think all on. she sees are sleeping pills. Okay. I don't, yeah. It, it had a prescription on the front. And it just said I, sleeping pills? It didn't say, like, the name of what the pills it are? It probably had the name of him on it, but I don't, again, I don't think she was looking for that. I think she just saw that they were pills. <laughs> Like I feel like she was surveying everything. She was just looking at what was in this apartment. And then she saw the pills and she just put them back. And then she came back in and it was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is where it gets a little dark as Aaron told you last week it would. Well, Jack is in a bar. And... Uh, Jack and the girl are dancing. You know, the girl with the husband in Havana. Yeah, they're dancing cheek to cheek, closing this place down. They're doing the drunk dance. Yeah. You know, holding each other up more like it. And it's closing time. The only people in the bar are a Santa, Jack and the girl, and the guy who owns it. And he's sweeping up and he wants them to go home. Because it's Christmas Eve. So uh, either the girl or Jack says, my place or yours. So they are going to go to 67th West, West 67th, because it's, of course, the most handy. It's the apartment. They go upstairs into the apartment, 
And he sees that a record now in the olden days when you had an album, the the arm would play the album and then go at the end and just rest there until it got moved. So so it would just be as the needle is is against ah. the end of the album. So he goes, well, that's odd. I didn't leave an album on. But he's too drunk to look at and see it was Rickshaw Boy. Yeah. And he wouldn't have made the connection of Rickshaw Boy. He's just like the people who, the guy was in my apartment, uh, Shell Drake. Uh, yeah, they just left it a mess. Yeah, and so... Um, and he's really he's really talking up his um his reputation that of what his neighbors think because his neighbors think that he's this Casanova playboy sex pot with all these women having all these parties and everything and so he's that's what he's leaning into that image telling this woman like yeah my neighbors they he's like you don't know how lucky you are like I'm the man. You can ask around these halls about me. Right. Everyone knows about me. And, and and then he sees this pair of gloves that he, he doesn't, he can't place, but he assumes they're the gloves of whoever yeah. Sheldrake had up there. So he goes to throw them on his bed and there's Shirley MacLaine. And he does the out. classic Honestly. double take. What? What? So he goes over to her and he tells her, oh, get up, Shirley. Come on, get up. Because he knew it was going to be Shirley. Yeah, he's like, come on. Like, I got, I'm trying to move on with my life here. Yeah, I got something. To, so, I got something going on. Come on. So I used to like you a lot. Yeah. Now get out. You Pull broke my out. heart. Wake up. I know who you are. Get yeah. out. And then he sees the pill bottle. Yeah. And then he's like, I am too drunk to deal with this right now. So first he runs to the phone and he goes, that's not a good idea because he's got to keep the bosses, the, the head boss. Yeah. You know, undercover. Can't tell anything about that. So he runs to Dr. Dreyfus. Next door. <coughs> Go ahead. So then Dr. Dreyfus comes over and he's like, you know, what's going? Well, he because he knocks on the door. Dreyfus opens like, what the hell? He's like, there's a, the woman. She took too many of the pills and stuff. Hurry. And Dr. Dreyfus says, I'll get my bag. And so he goes and he gets his bag. And he and he goes over and he goes, go put on some coffee, go make a lot of coffee. So, you know, Jack Lemon goes, he makes the coffee and then he's um, like looking at her and stuff. And then he gets this like tube rubber hose tube thing. And he's like, get help me get her to the bathroom. And so he gets her to the they take her into the bathroom and you don't see it. You just see Jack lemon um you know make making the coffee and pacing and stuff oh and and also he had gotten the he had gotten rid of the girl and the girl's like he kicks her out and stuff and so of course the woman takes jabs and is like some sex pot you are but he's he's you know he's got other fish to fry he's got a woman dying in his bed yeah exactly so the doctor he's he's you know knows exactly what he's doing you hear like her puking and stuff and you just yeah, he's see, emptying her stomach. Yeah, you just, you know that he's pumping her stomach, but you just see like Jack Nicholson, like you know, pacing and, and that would watching. be Jack Lemon. Jack Nicholson's not in this one. The people knew who I was talking about. And there's a note on the bedside table, and he just takes it and puts it in his pocket. Yeah. 
So then the doctor brings her out, puts her in a chair, got to keep her upright, gives her an injection. Mm-hmm. And the doctor says to Jack, oh, he's, what happened? He No, the doctor is like throwing mad shade at mm-hmm. Jack Lemon because he's like, you know, this is this is what you get. You need to be a mensch. You know, but look at you. You're, you're gallivanting with all these women doing all this stuff. And look what you did to this poor woman. And because, yeah, because he goes, what, what happened? What, what, like, what the hell happened? Why is this woman trying to take herself out the game in your bedroom, in your bed? He goes, yeah, you went out and picked up another dame, didn't you? You're a real cutie pie. Yeah. <clears throat> and so she she starts coming around and he's slapping her. He's got to slap her because she keeps wanting to go to sleep. Oh, he's just wailing into her. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I guess that's what he has to do. But he, yeah. he's being... I, like very doctor slash nonchalant about it. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more hesitation, but then not because he is a doctor. So it was He's very a doctor, weird. He knew it, it didn't matter. He had to keep her awake or she was going to die. Yeah. And I don't know. He just seemed like he really enjoyed it a little too much. Just popping her in the face. Backhanded <laughs> her. I mean, <clears throat> it didn't look like he was doing the, I don't want to do this, but I have to. He was, he was kind of like, this is the fun part of my job. So uh, it's a half hour later. <clears throat> Dr. Dreyfus says, that was quite a Christmas present. Keep, keep giving her coffee. Get her some fresh air. Um, she wakes up and she sees him. And she's, Mr. Baxter, what are you doing here? I'm so tired. Just let me sleep. So Dr. Dreyfus says, keep her awake for the next few hours. <clears throat> and then she can go to bed. Yeah, and so they have to, like, at one point they get her up and they march her up and down the back and forth across the apartment so that she'll walk and stuff. And then the doctor starts writing notes because he needs to document this attempted suicide. While he's lecturing Jack. And finally Jack, you know, Jack says, do we, can't we just... I don't want this documented. Maybe it was just a mistake. And for some reason, Dr. Dreyfus gives him a break and doesn't document it. Yeah. Because whole, he didn't want his boss to get in trouble. Yeah. The whole time he's just making, he's just going along with the story of it's him. And they had like a fight and stuff and he's totally covering for everyone and in doing so making him out to be an awful guy you know a real jerk a real jerk when the truth is he's just he's a good guy and but he's just like yeah we had a fight then i went out and picked up another woman and oh my ways this is why she did this to herself but it was just an accident so let's please don't tell anybody so he hangs up her dress, he plugs in the electric blanket, and he sits in the rocking chair. I guess that's where he sleeps. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the next morning, the landlady's knocking on the door. What was going on last night? Why was all that walking back and forth? This is a respectable house. It's not a honky-tonky. So uh, Jack calls Sheldrake to let him know what happened. And it's, keep Chris- him, it's Christmas. Christmas morning. Uh, Sheldrake is um, with his kids in the Christmas tree. So Jack tells wait, him wait, about wait, the wait, overdose. Wait, 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 wait. 
wait, wait. We are just going to let the whole thing with the kids. We're just going to literally fly over that. His kids, I was going to go his ahead. His kids get this rocket thing, and it it's pretty cool. It propels rockets up. And one of his boys says, do you think we could put a fly on the nose cone and see if it'll come back alive? And I'm like, how are they going to... I was thinking about that for a good five minutes then. I'm like, because then they, because the phone rings, the wife answers it or somebody, they go, and then the boys are like, come on, let's go get flies. And I'm, I'm just thinking, it's New York and it's the winter time. Where are you get one, where are you getting all these flies? Two, how are you connecting these flies to this rocket or this missile? I'm just like, are these the dumbest kids ever? So I was taken out. I, I said, no wonder you want to have an affair and get away from your family. These are your kids? <laughs> anyway. Well, <clears throat> yeah, no no respect for any kind of life. That's how he's raising them. That's what we got now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was going on. So Sheldrake didn't really want to talk to her. And Jack is saying, you know, I think you ought to come over and speak to her or something. Yeah. Like, and Sheldrake. Because uh, he didn't want to. Because when when Jack calls him on the phone, he's like, can you come over to the apartment? Because I have something I need to tell you. He didn't want to tell the whole thing over the phone. But then the Sheldrick's like, nah, man, uh, it's Christmas morning. I have to be with my family. So he's like, I don't want to tell this over the phone, but uh, your girl tried to kill herself in my bed last night. You're lucky that I happened to come home and find her. She's all right, but I think given the circumstances, maybe you should talk to her or something. Yeah, <clears throat> and um, he's going, it's impossible, it's impossible. So Jack goes, well... There's a letter. She wrote a letter. Do you want me to read it to you? And he was like, no. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I got Christmas going on over here. So Jack is seeing, oh, okay. He really cares. Yeah, this guy's a dick. So she's waking up and she's saying, I'm sorry, Mr. Baxter. I didn't know it was your apartment. Why didn't you just let me die? In my apartment? <laughs> well, at this point, Mrs. Dreyfus comes over with coffee and eggs. And she tells him off. Well, yeah, because Dreyfus goes, because he's out of coffee. She drank all the coffee last night. So he says, I'll be right back. So he knocks on the Dreyfus's door. And the woman, she knows because Mr. Dreyfus, Dr. Dreyfus told her everything. And she says, I know everything about you, you POS. Um, and he's like, I know, I know, I am. But do you have any coffee I could have, please? And he's like, she's like, I don't have any coffee for you, but for the girl I do. And she's, he's like, do you have an orange or something? And she's like, you are completely worthless. I'm going to make her some food for her and I'll bring it over. And so she makes him some. I, I thought it was matzo ball soup. I thought it would be matzo ball soup. It was chicken broth. Uh-huh. I was like, oh. Which was, a, you know, wonderful. Oh, yeah. She fed it to her. Mm. So, <clears throat> Shirley McLean is saying, I know he's a liar, but I still love him. 
So Mrs. Dreyfus has given her advice. You know, you're a good girl. You don't need this schmuck over here. You need somebody who's really good. Okay, so then uh, Shirley MacLaine tells him to open the envelope. He opens it. There's the $100. And she says, will you please see that Mr. Sheldrick gets that? And so he goes, sure. And so he wants to play gin rummy because that'll keep her awake and occupied because she's supposed to stay in his apartment for like two days until all the barbiturates wear off. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, yeah, I think I'm going to give it all up. So he's afraid she's going to try to do it again because Dr. Dreyfus said a lot of times People who try to commit suicide will try it again. So he goes in this bathroom and he's getting rid of all the razor blades. And what else was he getting rid of? Anything sharp. He was trying to hide. And Shirley MacLaine says she's just a bad insurance risk with men. And she has a talent for falling in love with the wrong guy at the wrong place at the wrong time. And she's going, what am I going to do now? Maybe maybe he does love me. He's just afraid to tell his wife. So she still has that hope. Mm-hmm. So then she says, I want to write a letter to his wife. Oh, back to like, <clears throat> oh, no. So Jack is going, that's really not a good idea. Let's play cards. So she falls back asleep. Well, one of the four men who uses his apartment arrives on Christmas e- Christmas night to use his apartment <clears throat> with one of the switchboard operators. <clears throat> and um, Jack says, "You can't, you can't be here." But then the guy sees her dress and realizes who it is. Oh, I didn't know you realized. Oh no, he doesn't. He sees a dress and he's like, oh, he you have a, dress. a woman He doesn't here. know whose it is. He just knows there's a woman in there. Yeah. And then somehow he gets to see her face and then sees who it is. So that's like, oh, my yeah. gosh, major props, dude. Nobody can get her and you got her. All right. All right. I'll go, you know, I'll go do it somewhere right, I'll else. Go elsewhere. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so then he sees her by the open window. And he goes, don't do anything stupid, because if you, if you jump out of there, you're only going to break a leg. Yeah, because he's and on the first she, floor or something. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, why can't I fall in love with someone like you, someone nice like you? Well, <clears throat> next day, Miss Olson is in the boss's office, and he's telling her, thanks for the pep talk you gave Shirley, and you're fired. Yeah. She's like, oh, What? So then um, she's out at her desk packing and the phone rings and it's Baxter. So she listens in. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping you could do. Oh, and um, so he tells Baxter is telling Fred McMurray about the money and he was hoping that Fred McMurray would do something for her. You know, just talk to her. Mm-hmm. So she comes and picks up the phone. And he says to her, I ought to be angry with you for scaring me that way. Um, um, I'm uh, sorry. Let's pretend like this whole thing never happened. So that's a great way to talk to someone who's committed suicide because of you. Or attempted it. Olsen was listening in on that. Mm -hmm. So she realized what happened. 
She calls Mrs. Sheldrick and arranges a lunch with Mrs. Sheldrick. And she says, I'm your husband's secretary. Could we meet and have lunch? So at this point, Jack went grocery shopping. And everybody in the apartment building is smelling gas. He's going, oh, my God, she's trying to gas herself to death. So he runs in there. And um, she, she's fine. She said, yeah, I was going to make myself a cup of tea and he goes but you didn't light it and she goes oh i didn't know you had to light it because if you have a pilot light you have to light it after you turn the gas on every time yeah it's a real pain um and she keeps wanting to go home yeah uh she says i just can't say no to mr sheldrick and he's a taker but i must go home and Jack is saying, the doctor says you have to be here 48 hours to get that stuff out of your system. And she goes, how long before I can get someone out of my system? Oh. Is this when Jack tells her a story? I don't know. At this point, the guy, her brother-in-law comes looking for her. Wait, when did Jack tell her a story about um, he he felt when he attempted suicide? It, mu it must be. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Is that now? Uh, it's gonna. It's sometime. I don't know that I wrote it down. Oh well, he tells her a story about. I forget what. It, oh, there was a woman. He says something about that there was a woman, and then the woman like did him dirty, of course, and so then he was, he was just you know down and out and stuff, and so he went down to, and he bought himself a gun, and then he went oh, yeah. out to, and. I forget where he was, but he was somewhere in a car because that's where people, he's like, you always hear about people going and shooting themselves in a car. So he's like, I went down there. But then he goes, I didn't know how. It's a real dark story, but yet the way he tells it is very sort of comical and funny. light. It was, and you're like, yeah. this is dark subject matter, but yet this is very light. And he says, you know, you get the gun. How do you do it? Do you do it in the mouth? Do you do it at the temple? He's like, you know, it's not as easy as it seems. And so... He's like, I had the gun in my lap, and then um, I look, and a cop's coming up to me, and he goes, I, I panic, and I want to go put the gun under my seat, and poop, pow, it went off, and I shot myself in the knee. And then he's like, oh, do you want to see? And so he, like, tries to pull up his pant leg to show her, and she's like, oh, no, no. He's like, I, I, I believe you. I don't want to see your knee. And um, then she says to him, I won't tell anybody how I know about your knee because I wouldn't want them to get the wrong idea because that was oh, like just like her appendix uh -huh. okay <clears throat> well a guy comes in looking for him oh he's a tough guy this is a, he's a cab driver and he's he you know what he looks like remember in the Christmas story the little henchman yes he looks uh like the grown up version of that He's wearing the same like yeah. jacket that's too small, so it won't zip all the way up. But it's like puffy and leathery, and the same kind of hat and like the tight yeah. pants and the exactly. wide stance. And he's just and he's like a littler dude, but he's like the little dude that's jacked, and he's like the he's like he's just like a little bulldog. And so he he just comes up and he's like, "Where's this Baxter? Where's Baxter? Oh, he roll doesn't that guy roll up to the the insurance company?" 
And he goes to like Baxter's office. He's not there. And he's like, he goes up to like Sheldrick or something. Like he's all up in there. He's like, I'm looking for my sister-in-law. And they're, they're they point him all to Baxter. And so then he's on the run and he's he goes to Baxter's place. Yep. At this point, Jack is cooking dinner for them. Mm-hmm. And he's cooking um, spaghetti and he uses the tennis record racket as a strainer which is cute the doorbell rings the brother-in-law comes in he goes i got a cab downstairs i'm taking her home she's going home with me because she's wearing um his flannel robe so it looks unseemly it looks like things have been happening that have not been happening so um jack is doing his talking thing over talking over talking because it looks really bad and the brother-in-law is just staring at him. Okay, so he takes he takes Shirley home. Well, Dr. Dreyfus comes in, and he's asking how the patient is. And, um, oh, he doesn't take her home yet. This happens when they're still there. And so she tells the brother-in-law, yeah, I took sleeping pills um, on account. I took sleeping pills on account of me. Hmm. Um, and so the brother-in-law punches Jack and goodbye, Mr. Baxter. And Dr. Dreyfus says, you know what? You had it coming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next day, uh, he asks to see Sheldrake and he's practicing what he wants to say to Sheldrake that he's going to take, he's going to fix Sheldrake's problems. He's going to take Shirley off his hands. Um, and then Sheldrick doesn't have to worry about her anymore and it's all going to be good for him. And so <clears throat> he goes upstairs, goes into the office and Sheldrick, uh, his, his luggage is in his office. He says, I've moved out of my, my house. My wife fired me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, but well, he's like, the good Oh, I'm news- getting a, I'm getting a divorce. And he's like, oh, you finally left your wife? And he's like, well, not quite. My my wife left me. Yeah, right. My uh, After Olsen's little chat, my wife fired me. Mm-hmm. So, but the good news is Sheldrake is giving Jack the assistant to him. Yeah, so now he gets a promotion, and his promotion is to be an assistant to Sheldrake. <clears throat> I'd be like, no, thank you. You're a schmuck. And um, so Sheldrake starts saying, "Look, um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take her off your hands." So everything that Jack was saying, Sheldrake is saying to him. Mm-hmm. And so Jack is saying, "Oh, you're gonna marry her?" And he goes, "No, I'm gonna string her along for a long time. Huh? I'm gonna enjoy my bachelorhood." So. Jack's going, oh, right, okay, so this is not going to be resolved anyway. And he's saying she should be married, and he's going, I'm going to enjoy my being a bachelor. So Shirley sees Jack as the sign man is changing the name, and he lies to her saying, you know, all this time you thought that Sheldrake was using me, but it's not true. I was using him so that I could get this really big promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just lost my train of thought. 
the Sheldrick, his really big promotion, he was using him. And she's saying, we're not going to see each other until the whole divorce thing settles down. Um, and and there's a, a person of color shining Sheldrake's shoes in his office. Well, it's now New Year's Eve. And he wants Jack's key for the night. And Jack goes, you know what? You're not bringing anybody to my apartment. <clears throat> and Sheldrake's going, hey, it usually takes people 20 years to get up to the 27th floor. And it only takes 30 seconds to be out. So Jack throws a key on Sheldrake's desk. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I knew you'd see it my way. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Sheldrake comes out and goes, wait, you threw the wrong key. This is the key to the washroom. And Jack says, your payola won't work for me anymore. Ha ha, suck it. Finally, Jack is in his apartment. He's packing. He's moving. The doorbell rings. It's Dr. Dreyfus asking for some ice. And he goes, oh, you're packing up? You're moving? Where? And, and there's still a piece of spaghetti stuck, stuck to his tennis racket. Yeah, but did you notice it was uh, still pliable? That's a, yeah, that's was, a goof. Yeah. There's no way that spaghetti would still be pliable. That's true. Remember spaghetti, Aaron? <sighs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. (laughs) Shirley is at a party. And Shirley's saying that, oh, no, uh, Sheldrake is saying to Shirley, we're going to go to Atlantic City. Ooh. And she goes, well, why? Well, because Baxter wouldn't give us the key to his apartment. So we got to go somewhere. Everything in the city is full. So we got to go to Atlantic City. And... He's saying, yeah, I mean, Baxter won't let anybody in his apartment. He said, especially not you. And he quit his job. Then they sing Old Lang Syne. So um, Sheldrake turns around to watch everybody singing Old Lang Syne. And she looks very reflective. And then she smiles. Eureka! When When Sheldrake turns around again, she's gone. She is running to Jack. And when she gets to his apartment building, she hears a gunshot. <gasps> oh, my God. So she she's sure that he shot himself over all of this. So she runs up. But it wasn't a gunshot. It was a champagne cork. Yeah. And she says, where are you going? And he goes, who knows? I, I'm ready to be on my own. And she says, so am I. Hey, hey, what about those cards? Why don't you get out the cards? Um, wh- there was a thing about the fruitcake. Oh, because oh, the-, the the woman that that caused him to in his story to almost kill himself was um. She went off with his best friend. They got married, and every year she sends him a fruitcake for Christmas. Right, and so he's like, "Well." What are you going to do? And she goes, I'm going to send him a fruitcake every Christmas. No, she says, we're going to send him a fruitcake every Christmas. Oh, I didn't hear that. I think she says, and we're going to send him a fruitcake every Christmas. And then So he- Jack says to her, I love you, Miss Kubrick. And she says, shut up and deal. Yeah. Dun, dun, the so they end up together. That is my comedy, The Apartment. 
Just has a little bit of suicide in it. Just a side of it, but it is really help. Like, it is really dark. Like, I was thinking of that when I was watching it. I'm like, man, this is really dark, but yet the way that it's handled, is it a light touch? But it it doesn't gloss over it at the same time, or does it? Exactly. It it shows. I mean, she's in a severe depression over this guy. She knows that. It's not going to go anywhere, but she holds on hope. And then finally she realizes this guy is never going to do what I want him to do. And I really have found the nice guy. Yeah, this guy's a nice guy. All right. Do you think that he really shot himself in the knee? Like that whole story? Well, he had the fruitcake. He did have the fruitcake, but we never saw the scar on the knee. So I, I, I don't know. I just thought that it was just a story that he he embellished a real story to so sort to, of make so her feel better. So as to better. say, you can get over this. Yeah. That's but, a good question. But, uh, yeah, who knows? I guess that's for the scholars. That's for the book club to dis- the movie club to discuss. Yes. Discuss over your Mike salads. <laughs> With no corn and no tomatoes. <laughs> well, I, uh, as far as trivia, I don't have a lot. All right. Be- and we told some during our, our retelling of the story. Yes. But I do have the Jack Lemon really caught a cold that night in Central Park. It was sub-zero temperatures. And they had to keep doing something to him to keep him from freezing, spraying him with something. Or- I don't know. It looked cold. Yeah, I don't know. But he really did catch that cold. And um, Billy Wilder and Diamond, the other writer, Mm -hmm. they wanted you to stick to the script. And Shirley MacLaine MacLaine ad-libbed a lot. And the writers wanted no deviation. But there was a part where where they let whatever she ad-libbed go. Well, I don't know about her, but I know that Jack Lemon, the the nasal spray, he was allowed to ad lib. He-, he did because I didn't see him spray it out so you could see it. He sprays it. He sprays it across the room at one point. He squeezes it and it yeah. shoots out. And then when he's singing, making the spaghetti. Right. They let that be ad lib. Mm-hmm. Um, something happened also when he gets punched by the brother-in-law. He wasn't taking the punch right, and something happened, and so he fell, and that's why he falls in the scene, because they just liked the way that he fell. So that's the take that they used. I read something about that. And she was really, the doctor was really slapping her. I thought so. And they wanted to do another take, and, and Billy Wilder said, no, because her cheeks were already so red from him slapping her. Yeah, because her cheek did look red, and it did look like he was just yeah, wailing on he her. Really, oh, they were saying that a real doctor would slap harder. Oh. And and he went, no, we're not going to let him slap harder because she's she's already taken quite quite a few hits. Yeah, he, I mean, he he was really laying into her. Is that all you have for trivia? That's all I have. All right. I got a lot of stuff. So settle Excellent. in. All right. So the, the broad, we'll go with the broad trivia of it. Billy Wilder saw a movie. I don't know. Yeah. It was a, 
movie, well, it was a movie or it might have been based on a book, but there was this thing called Brief Encounter, and it was 1945, and it's basically the two lead characters um, have an affair at a friend's house. And so Billy Wilder was watching this or reading it, and he thought about the plight of the unseen character, the friend whose house these people go to. And so... Um, that's how he kind of like came up with the idea. And then what's his face? Diamond, one of his friends had like broke up with his girlfriend and she ended up committing suicide at his bed. So he was oh. like, all right, I'm going to take that too. Wow. It was the basis for the 1968 Burke Bacharach, Neil Simon and somebody else musical Promises, Promises. Which I didn't know. Mm-hmm. We already talked about the use of force perspective. It also <coughs> occurred like with his apartment and stuff. Um, McLean was only given 40 pages, so she wouldn't know how the whole thing ended. And she just assumed that it was because they hadn't finished the script. Um, Jack Lemon learned a lot about what he called hooks from Billy Wilder. And those are the bits that the audience remembers after they've remembered anything about the movie. Because, like, I remembered, I didn't remember specifics about the movie, but the thing that I did remember about the apartment was that this guy had an apartment and he was giving the key out to all of his bosses and they would use his apartment. So Jack Lemon was always like, yeah, everybody always remembers that part of the movie. So if they would see me, they would, he was like, for the longest time, people would say, hey, Jack, can I have a key? Um, the layout of Baxter's apartment makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-mm. When you look at the outside building and then you look at where Dry- the Dreyfus's apartment is and then when you enter in their building and just like with the windows and stuff, everybody's like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-mm. It had 10 no- Oscar nominations. It was nominated for... It had 10 nominations and it won five of them so it was nominated for best cinematography black and white best sound recording best supporting actor jack christian the guy that played dr dreyfus he was nominated oh jack lemon was nominated but he lost burt lancaster won that year for elmer gentry mm. um and Shirley MacLaine was nominated, but she lost to Elizabeth Taylor for Butterfield 8. And mm. she has a quote about that because I re- I was like, oh, this is the year that... Okay, so she said that she, she said, quote, I thought I would win for the apartment, but then Elizabeth Taylor had a tracheotomy. So that <laughs> was the year that Elizabeth Taylor had all that crazy stuff going on in her life. And like almost died, and they had to put a tracheotomy in her. Oh. And then you'll like see the um, like her Oscar speech when she gets up, she has like the tracheotomy scar and stuff. And so McLean's like, "Well, yeah, of course, I'm not gonna win." So and I, I did see Butterfield Eight, and yeah, what's her face is really good in it. She plays a woman of the night. Oh, a sex worker? Uh-huh, she does. Um, I never saw it. And then that was kind of one of the movies that made me... I think that I saw it and I started telling you about it. And I was like, oh, this should be a podcast. 
Like we watched these. <gasps> Is that movies. where we started? Yeah, it was this, and then it was that that movie with what's his face Montgomery Clift. And I was it. I think maybe a, Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor, and I watched it. Oh. And I was telling you, I was telling somebody else about it, and they're like, "This should be a podcast." So, so the 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 nominations that it did won. It won for best editing. It won for best art direction, black and white, best original screenplay, best director, and it won best picture. And it best beat, picture. It did. It beat out. This kind of seems like like you think 1960, because we did last week we did 61, and that was the Hustler. 60 is like, okay, the Alamo, Elmer Gantry, Sons and Lovers, the Sundowners. I haven't wow. heard of any of those movies. Me either. Well, I've heard of Elmer Gantry, but. I don't, but I can't tell you what it's about. Me either. Nothing. It was, I believe, the last black and white movie to win Best Picture until 2011's The Artist. Now you'll remember 1993 Schindler's List won, but it had some color in it. It did have some red in it. Mm-hmm. So, and let's see. So then I was when I was looking up the um like the actors and stuff, I thought this that it was interesting that Jack Lemon, he went to Harvard. He was commissioned by the Navy and he was an ensign on an aircraft carrier during World War II. He made 15 films with Walter Matthau. Um, G- Billy Wilder said of him, he said, Lemon, I would describe him as a ham, a fine ham. And with ham, you have to trim a little fat. Mm. Billy Wilder always said that he liked to ham things up and he could be over the top. Mm-hmm. So he would always have to like, try to trim him back and stuff. Um, I see that. So Shirley MacLaine, man. She was named after Shirley Temple. Her name was Shirley. It spelled McLean Beatty, and Beatty is spelled with one T. Her younger brother, who you may have heard of, won Warren Beatty. Aaron had a had a had a moment with Warren. That was years ago. She she still was, had a moment. She was born in Richmond, Virginia. Richmond. Uh huh. The family they moved to Arlington. Arlington. Specifically Dominion Hills. Her dad worked at Thomas Jefferson Junior High in 1945. Oh my God. She played baseball on an all boys team and had the most home runs, and her nickname was Powerhouse. <laughs> um, when she was a, a kid, she had super weak ankles, so her mom put her in ballet, and she loved doing ballet, and that's where she got into performing. But she had to give up ballet. She had like injuries and stuff. And then she also realized that she was just too tall to be a ballerina. But she was a ballerina in a really good movie. What movie? With Anne Bancroft. Oh, where she was the retired ballerina? Yes. Oh, I forget what that was, but I read <gasps> what about it. What was that? Mikhail Baryshnikov was in it. Oh, White Heat, White Lightning or something? No, not White Knights. Oh, no. <laughs> I just know that you love that movie. <laughs> I did. I did. She went to Washington Lee High School. Um, and Shirley MacLaine is a. I there was some director who they um 
they didn't like working with her because they found her too unfeminine. And yeah, they just did. And they were like, oh, yeah, she's really obnoxious. She she had a bunch of a couple of lawsuits against. Really? Yeah. Against like kind of earlier in her career, a little bit after this movie where she sued some people and, and she won like studios and stuff. So she's kind of credited with one of the people that, that took down the whole star studio system. And one of her cases, I think in 1970 employment dispute is also taught in text is like classic employment uh like employment suits and stuff she was badass oh she's she is she's she's a broad and i use that in the best sense she's also got a lot of hot takes <laughs> like she's badass but then she's she's also one of those people that's badass and then like because she's really into new agey stuff and so she's she's kind of said some she's kind of got some hot takes about the holocaust like recently oh. so i know hot that she takes um, stephen hawking it's like oh okay mclean yeah she because she she's very much into um being reborn yeah, she's into a lot of new age stuff, like reincarnation. Yeah, like she, like she UFOs. knows who she was in past lives. Yeah, which is like on on just face value, it's like, oh, all right, okay. But then she also, <laughs> like she's just it's one of those people, like she's just going to say things. And you can look at it as, um, I, like who knows where she's, coming from when she says it you know what i mean like you're like oh that a lot of that's gonna rub a lot of people the wrong mm -hmm. way especially now and then on one hand it's kind of like well if she is into that stuff i could see how she would say that but it's not really something that you should say if politically political correctness is not her forte no and she like she look look listen everyone this she started her Hollywood career in 1955. Wow, me the too. things this woman has probably seen in Hollywood and experienced, experienced, and and she made a career and she made a go of it. We read the movies that she has been in, and you know when you see this movie, that's the thing that I like the most about it. Is that her character is strong, even though she tries to take herself out the game. She's never like this. She's never this weakling. She's never simpering. She's never simpering. She's never like she just she comes across as very real and yet very tough. So she's a very tough lady, and tough ladies have edges because yep. they had to. Because they had to survive. You don't get to survive in that game without, like, look, I got to be tough. I mean, look, her name was Powerhouse. <laughs> Alrighty then. And I like that Miss Olsen took it upon herself to get in touch with the wife and say, you might want to know this is happening. Mm-hmm. Women, um, there for women, you know? Oh, that's at very true. At first she was jealous because Shirley was the new young thing. But then it was, wow, 
She tried to take herself out for this mofo. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. No, we're going to put an end to that. And also, this mofo just fired me. <laughs> yeah. I had the nerve to fire me. Because she, when she had the job, she wasn't picking up the phone to tell the wife. But as soon as she didn't have a job anymore, it was, oh, I see. So, yes, but also. I want to think that she would have done it anyway. I'm probably way off base because she had a really good job. But, <laughs> all right, moving on. That's all I have. Well, I did enjoy it because you. how can you not enjoy two hours of Jack Lemon? It's a great movie. Jack Lemon, Billy Wilder. It is one of those movies that's hard to categorize because people, some people call it a comedy. Some people call it a tragic comedy. Some people call it a comedy drama. Some people call it a satire. At this point, I guess it would be a rom-com. I would call it a... Drum-com. Maybe, yeah, maybe a drum-com. Drum-com. You don't want to get people's hopes up when they're like, oh, it's a comedy. But yet the way that everything is dealt with, it isn't this downer like. Mm -hmm. I was reading this article about some guy wrote it for the Library of Congress. And he points out that even though all the main characters aren't Jewish, that it's it's a very Jewish film. Because virtually everyone else around it, like the doctors and stuff, like how Mm -hmm. they're very Jewish and a lot of like schnook. And there's a lot of, like, mensch. There's just a lot of, like, Jewishness in it. And the way that the world is. At one point, the doctor, like, pretty much sums up America, which is something like live. What was it? He says, live now, pay later, diner's club. Yeah. And there's there's just a lot of just... And, and then when I read it and I was looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, and that kind of is how they're dealing with serious subjects. There's still always the comedy bits yeah. in it and stuff. I was like, ah, Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder. So there you well, have Well, all right. Erin, uh, what will next week's journey well, be? there's a bit of a story and something really weird happened to me. So when I was investigating I don't know this story, because I was investigating on this, like what I wanted to do. And I was thinking that I was going to do a foreign film. And I had heard about this film because it was referenced in an episode of the Americans. And then I heard about it later. It was referenced in a podcast I was listening to when it was talking about heist films. And I'm like, I love heist films. I do too. So then I went to look it up in iTunes to see if it was something that was available for rent and it was not (gasps) but when I scrolled down to movies the second movie that I had on my list of and of what I wanted to do it was the only movie that appeared so the movie that I wanted to do is called Rafifi I think it's a French film and when I when I typed it in, it it would it referenced the Americans episode and like books. And I'm scrolling down to movies, and the the one movie that was there is a movie that I had heard of in a podcast, and I was like, oh, I want to do that, but I never looked it up on anything. I never Googled it. I never did anything. 
And so the movie that we're doing next week is the one movie that appeared. Keep in mind, Rafifi, a French film. When I scrolled all the way down, the only movie that was there, 1970, directed by Ozzie Davis, Cotton, Cotton Comes to Harlem. Oh, my God. I'm like, how the hell is Cotton Comes to Harlem the only movie on my Rafifi search with this French film? It it was one of those moments. I'm, I'm sitting in the lobby of the car place like, what the hell has Apple hacked into my brain? Has it finally happened? Well, that is a frightening thought. So that's what we're doing. 1970. To Harlem. Cotton comes to Harlem. All right, then. All righty, then. Is it a heist film? I don't we know. We don't know. I just know that I I know, like, bare minimum. I, I had heard about it before, and then something else I was listening to brought it back up, and then I saw that Ozzie Davis directed it, and I said, Huh? Well, and I think it's about time we have some black people. Well, I guess so. Alrighty then. Cotton Comes to Harlem. 1970. 1970. Now, I went to the show this week, and again, I saw the trailer for... How long has this been coming out? A Star is Born. You know, when they keep pushing things back, it's usually not a good sign. Yeah, but that trailer, I mean, that alpha dog thing, that trailer's been on for more than a year at this point. So, Well, I'm thinking that once A Star is Born comes out, we're going to have to watch it and then do a podcast on a recent film because we did one on the second A Star is Born. Well, that's fine. This will be the fourth. Well, A Star is Born isn't coming out, though, until, like, October, November. That's Oscar bait. Unless, yeah, that's where that's when it's coming out. It's coming out in the fall. Unless p- people like start looking at it, and it's like uh, if it if it comes out before October, or if it gets pushed back to January, the movie stinks. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it gets good, released good from September to like. Uh, before the new year has a theatrical release before the new year then it, it might be then the, then it's like 50 50 but if it gets moved or pushed back it stinks universally okay. it stinks okay so that's something to look forward to listeners and um okay well next week cotton comes to harlem I guess that's it for this podcast, yes? Yes. Okay, listeners. Bye-bye.